0: So this is the Audit Room on Clubhouse. We meet every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. That's 11 a.m. Chicago time. And we are live with our guests every week. I am Trent Russell, your co-host and moderator, founder of Green Skies Analytics, the go-to place for all things analytics and audit. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Tracy Marquardt.
1: Hi, everybody. I'm known as Europe's leading audit communication consultant coming to you from Canada. So a little bit of a switch right now, and happy to be here today. I'm hoping to work in some stuff, um, Rick, about maybe you know communication and leadership, and, mm-hmm. and see how that okay. works out. Maybe I don't know if there's anything for reporting we can sneak in the conversation, but I'm very happy um, to be able to introduce um, Rick. And is it Rick Roible? I hope I pronounced your last name. Yeah, right. You got it. And just get you to give us a little introduction, and then we'll get started. Perfect.
2: Okay. Okay. So, um, my name is Rick Roigel, and I am coming coming from uh, Fort Worth, Texas. Um, let's see, I work for Martindale Consultants. It is an oil and gas um, audit uh, firm, consulting firm, uh, but I also run the Oil and Gas Vendor Roundtable, which is an organization I started back in 2014 to bring together uh, vendor risk uh, professionals to discuss um, you know, audit issues, uh, risk issues, uh, security, fraud,
0: et cetera, around the oil and gas industry. And Rick, I didn't until we met. I didn't realize that oil and gas vendors was such was like such a thing. Um, I really wasn't <laughs> familiar with the industry much at all. But so I know you have the oil and gas vendor roundtable and uh, the things that you do through that. But I was curious why. Why don't we see more of these like vendor-type roundtables or, or a focus on vendors in other industries? Like, Why is it such a big deal within oil and gas? Yeah, and
2: specifically for the oil and gas uh, industry, as, as most people know, uh, it, it, it goes up and down. You know, these large, long cycles of, of uh, boom and bust. And when they're definitely in the boom time, Um, It is, uh, you know, a lot of equipment, a lot of contractors, a lot of vendors, materials, etc. that are going out on site, from drilling to transportation to refining. During those bus cycles, you know, everything just kind of contracts. Um, And if uh, an oil and gas operator, you know, for example, Exxon or, you know, Chevron, et cetera. If they were to have those services, those goods, those that equipment, um, you know, it would not make very much financial sense. So we use a lot of contractors. We use a lot of vendors to be able to supplement or augment the, the work that we do. Um, just, you know, from a high level, the upstream operator that's again you know the people that are you know the drillers so to speak uh you know in a typical office you see them you know developing you know getting land from from people they are um, also doing the drilling plans and then they're overseeing the production but that is basically it if again if you were to have all that stuff it would be just
0: very much economical sense And what are the, the, the terminology I know, like I'll talk to people in the, in the field and they'll say, yeah, I'm midstream or upstream or downstream. Could you like kind of walk us through the, the nomenclature of uh, the oil and gas vendor?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So you have three categories, upstream, midstream, and downstream upstream again, are your the companies, your operators, that's what we call ourselves, operators, that will be developing the engineering plans for how you know, how deep we go and if it's horizontal, how, how far out you go, um, you know, also, you know, part of that upstream area is the production side of it. So once the drilling is completed, you have um, uh, men and women who are watching to see how the production is coming, how much water they have to haul out. Um, and so that's really the drilling and the production side is the, op- is the upstream. And then you have midstream. Midstream, Basically, kind of consists of two parts, and that is the, you know, if it's trucking or if it's like pipeline, and there's some other areas too. But I just think these long pipelines, uh, like the Keystone Pipeline, that is the, the midstream territory. So there are companies or operators that run, build, um, uh, et cetera, those those uh, transportation lines, and finally downstream so we're talking a company like marathon um that are the refiners they are the you know they take um you know possession of the, of the you know either the gas or the um gas liquids or even the oil and they refine them into a particular material which then go out for sale so that's the
0: nomenclature there okay and i do i want to dig into vendors a little bit more also but i, I want to give you a chance could you talk about the oil and gas vendor roundtable um what you offer what like the benefits of being a member of that would be and um to kind of tack on to that if you're not in oil and gas does it make sense to to join
2: yeah absolutely so uh, back in 20 2013 2013 ish um a, colleague, or excuse me, a peer of mine, uh, she was working at uh, Pioneer uh, Natural Resources at the time. She and I were talking, you know, about uh, electricians. We spoke on the phone for several hours. At the end, you know, we kind of came to the same uh, conclusion, and that is, there really isn't a a vehicle or an organization, so to speak, that would be able to bring together uh, oil and gas uh vendor and i and i call this vendor risk management and that can can include anybody from audit to security all the way to contracts etc but there wasn't any organization where we could get together discuss you know the roadblocks we're we're encountering you know the 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 positives of hey if we adopt this technology this is what happens but there was nothing like that so uh started reaching out through linkedin um, it grew from about 10 people in 2015 and, and now the, you know, the membership is around 650, 650 or so. Uh, and it's, it's global. I would say it's more heavily focused on North America, but there are, um, uh, members, uh, in other uh, countries outside North America. So we, we meet pretty regularly and it used to be, You know, in person, we'd have a two-day conference, and COVID changed everything, and we went to this real online model where we will have um, classes uh, that are focused on a particular topic, so... Uh, in fact, this Thursday, I'm actually having a presentation that I'm going to be doing, and it has to do with the Colonial Pipeline and cybersecurity issues. Uh, so that's the type of thing we meet for an hour and a half or two hours. We offer CPE, and then um, you know we we meet again the next month with a different topic. And these topics are very, very you know granular in the sense of it's not you know, hey, it's some large topic that. It can cover, you know, uh, a book in 500 pages. It's really, really refined so that uh, people go, oh, gosh, I've never had a class on this before. So uh, that's what we're trying to offer. Now, as far as others joining in, the the membership is open to anybody, if anybody's just interested. But I would say that a lot of the topics that, while it has an oil and gas flavor to it, it can be uh, very applicable to other Industries. For example, um, we've had members from uh, retail services. Uh, some uh, some friends of Trent and mine uh, in South South Africa, and um, and they've joined it. And and it's because we talk about things that while it's again oil and gas, it can be translatable to other industries. And just finally, Trent, I'll just add that you know one of one of the things I would love to be able to do is to connect with others that are looking to to build a round table in other industries, you know, medical, uh, for example, construction, um, you know, other technologies and things like that. That would be, uh, an, you know, a real great goal of mine is to be able to, to network with someone who would, would want to be able to uh, have the same type of organization um, that we have for the oil and gas industry.
1: I just wanted to jump in there. I think it's, it's brilliant that you have this round table and it, you know, the fact that you've grown it from, you know, 15 say to 650 um, is quite an accomplishment and in today's environment using, using online to do that is, is, is the way to go. And it would be interesting, you know, because so many, I just wrote about this in a post, I think my Monday um, post on LinkedIn, There are so many opportunities available today. And that the question that I have for everyone is what's next? How are we going to keep sharing opportunities? So I really like that, Roy. Sorry, I don't know why people want to call you Roy, Rick. it has to do with your last name. I don't know. That's Sorry okay. That. No, that's all right. That's
0: all right. Yeah. And I like the, uh, I'm glad you're offering to help. Those folks, I feel like medical would be a good place to start because it's so huge and complicated. I think that would be a good one and construction uh, as well. So um, hopefully we can get the word out and somebody kind of picks that up and and runs along with you on on being able to do that. so I know you have uh, various guest speakers. Has there been anybody I don't know maybe that does analytics that stuck out to you as a guest speaker <laughs> that maybe did a, a pretty good job? Yeah, there's this really great guy that I know. Uh, his name is Trent. you may know him <laughs> and
2: um, we Trent came
0: in uh, back there Trent nice thanks. <laughs> Trent,
2: um he and I were talking about it uh, maybe early summer or so and he developed a two-hour course that was covering the basics of, of data analytics and then um you know you know attached to that was the second hour had to do with specifically data analytics using Excel and it was it was very very well received um, and again that that's that is it uh, and a great example of where the roundtable, while again it's oil and gas, it is uh, you know open really applicable to a lot of different groups and different people. So you may be a member and you're getting an email from me about a specific class, and you're like, oh, I don't know if that's really that applicable, but maybe the next one is. So, but their analytics is definitely uh, on top of mind for oil and gas people, specifically because I this is maybe. Uh, we're a little bit opinionated here, but the oil and gas industry as a whole, I, I think is behind the uh, eight ball as far as technology goes. We, you know, we've been the late adopters, and we're seeing you know you know hearing talking about blockchain. You know, and it's like how can we you know incorporate blockchain? And just like, going, man, we're so far behind. I've worked in financial services as well, and I mean, they're just light years ahead of what oil and gas is. So, um, data analytics is a you know, a great thing to, to offer for the round table. So we were really appreciative. And one last thing, Trent is coming back in December. So if you're, you know, if you'd be interested in doing that, he's going to do visualization and analytics.
0: Nice. Yeah. Uh, And speaking of blockchain, we had uh, our guest last week, uh, was all about blockchain. So we'll get that posted to uh, through the audit podcast here. And uh, Rick, that might be somebody to connect with and, and have speak to the group. The blockchain is absolutely nuts and could change like just our way of life depending on how it gets rolled out and if uh, it can be done efficiently uh, could be huge so that might be a a good guess for you yes so I know we're also talking frauds here and and so when I asked you topics you said you know frauds and vendor audits Uh, is the the fraud work that you do is that typically related to vendors (laughs) yeah
2: So part of my my day-to-day job, my real job, I would say, for for Martindale is uh, managing the vendor audit service line. Um, and along with that uh, comes the responsibility of, of when people call and say, I, you know, we're representing a particular you know, client, an operator who we believe has been defrauded. And so I will take those, those cases as well and be an, an expert witness. Um, so uh, those are things, those are topics that are uh, definitely part of the oil and gas uh vendor roundtable as well um but from a you know day-to-day standpoint that's that's what i do every day i, I in fact right before i got on this call i'm, I'm looking at files going over and, and just <laughs> diving in like trying to make sense of what's happening putting the pieces, to, pieces together so and um and it's broad as a is a very you know big reality in the oil and gas industry and it's you know a lot has to do with the fact that um, we, you know, we're real, we are reliant on vendors and contractors, as we talked about before. And secondly, we are in an industry where there's not a lot of oversight. So you have a, a well uh, or a lease that's out in, you know, far west Texas. No one's really looking at it. So it's easy to, to fudge those hours. And then that becomes something, uh, you know, in the character of a fraud. So.
0: And I know you've been doing this for a while, so I don't, if obviously I'm, I'm not asking for anything that's active or ongoing, but is there, I think everybody loves a good fraud story. Is there a, a story that sticks out to you that you could share without naming names, obviously? Yeah.
2: I mean, long, long time ago, you know, it was, um, I was doing specifically on water haulers and it, just water hauling in the oil and gas industry is revolves around the fact that when oil and gas are coming up the well bore. That's from the from the ground. The other piece of it is is water. Um and that water is it's brine water. It's salt water. That's it's just has really no use unless you recycle it. And um but otherwise, what happens is that water is picked up and it's taken um, off to a disposal site. So, you know, very, one of the very first um, you know vendor audits that I did uh, ended up being a, a, a fraud case where you had a a guy who was running supposedly a whole, had had a whole bunch of truckers and drivers, and he would you know submit to the company uh, ticket after ticket after ticket. Of all these drivers picking up water for three hours, and they're always three hours, three hours, three hours, three hours. hours. It's like you know, always this. And and the problem was is that again, this is the late technology adapter bit. Is that I was looking at paper, you know, invoices. I'd, I'd you know print them off, and then I would have to put the data entry piece into it. So I'm just you know going into Excel, adding it. Once you do a few pivot tables, all of a sudden you're like, "Holy cow! How is this guy, you know, driver X, able to do 35 hours in one day?" And um, you know, and, and then you just start to see it; it just it snowballs. Uh, so that, that that's a very typical case, and that actually happened many years ago. Uh, but uh, you. Know, These guys will argue left and right that it was okay. This is what, you know, it was signed off. It was approved. And you're like, but how does, how does this happen? And they have no answer for it, but that's, that is a very typical of a, of a water hauling fraud that I, that I
0: encounter. And that's something I think when I spoke to your group, we talked about Benford's analysis that would probably show up if we looked at ours, like, why is there this, why is there this huge increase with the number three, and then we'd be able to filter on the number three for hours and see that that person, um, was charging a lot of three hour, three hour jobs. Yes. Yeah, very much so. If it, that would be a good tool to do for that. And and I know obviously from your perspective and in, in working frauds that you might say, uh, you might answer yes to this or, or to kind of expand on it, but what do you think about, there's been talk for the past couple of years about should audit be looking at fraud? And so what are your, what are your thoughts on that?
2: So the quick, is should audit be involved with
0: with fraud, or it, or uh, sh- should audit from be a company perspective? Is sh- that what you're saying? Should they be actively looking for fraud? Yeah,
2: oh oh, absolutely yes. And I'll ex- I'll expand on that. You know, one of the things that I think is is happening in internal audit company you know departments over the past few years is that there's been while it's great to have it, there's been a, fo- a, a an overfocus, I would say. This is Rick's opinion. Overfocus on on socks, and while you know it's meant to, to identify fraud, I don't think it really is identifying fraud. I don't think that that's where where it's the real you know fraud issues are happening. More important for an internal audit department to have, you know, some a resource or two dedicated to doing these operational audits um, that are not SOX audits per se, uh, and that's where you're going to be able to to identify it. Now, should they be involved in it? Absolutely, because um, you know we are called to be the independent, you know, a viewpoint um, to be able to uh, review. You know data you know our mission says hey we have the uh you know the the opportunity to be able to look at any type of data to make sure that you know it's um that it uh it's you know it's, it's right it's accurate uh it can be validated so i think it's important that we do it um the problem becomes is that um does internal audit you know do they does it take them away from other, you know, responsibilities? And I think, you know, the answer is yes for that, too. Um, we Internal audit is called to do so many things, and if you don't have enough resources, then something has to give and something doesn't get looked at. So, sometimes fraud is is that area. I wanted to just jump in and ask you about that, because in terms of reporting,
1: is you know, is there a, a lot of fraud in the industry, or because you don't see to be honest in audit reports you don't see a lot of reporting of fraud it must be handled elsewhere yeah
2: i mean i look at it this way is that you don't even hear you hear very little about uh, that and i think it's either because there's a reputation problem that's going to happen or it's been solved you know offline um i see that you know quite often it's like well, look. This is this. This is potentially fraud here. Now, you know, there you may be missing a couple parts of the of the of the puzzle pieces. But but uh, I think part of it may be that some of these conversations are taking offline and they're not included in, in reporting reporting, um, which is which is I don't know if it's good or bad because um, I. I can definitely understand from both both sides of the of the fence. So right, I mean, I see I see the risk
1: of fraud in reports, but typically, it, I think it goes off into an investigation if they have
2: enough if they have enough yes. evidence to launch an investigation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's definitely true. I mean, it ends up being the baton ends up being handed off to security um, or a third party investigator, or you know, in some cases, uh, the, the FBI. And uh,
0: and then they take it and run with it. So I don't know if Tracy's the communications queen, Rick. In your experience of like finding fraud, <laughs> my on my you should absolutely yeah, <laughs> trademark it, <laughs> um, Rick. And, and the frauds that you've worked, what what's some guidance you could offer? As we like, it just seems like a very touchy subject to have with management. Like, oh, hey, look, we found fraud, um, and so it feels a little bit different than even this controls operating ineffectively. You know, and, and they'll take kind of offense to that. Um, and so, how what what guidance could you offer in, or maybe what what's the mindset we should have when discussing a fraud finding, maybe with with management or stakeholders?
2: So, so you broke up a little bit there. Let me see if I if I got the question right. So, what would be What's the kind of the conversation? What's the communication that we, you know, we're talking with management about a particular finding that we have that's perhaps broad related?
0: Right. Like what's the mindset when you have that conversation?
2: So, you know, I have to, when I'm going to discuss something that with, you know, that topic with someone, um, you know. I think it's hard, it's, you have to put yourself in, the, in their shoes too, because um, you may be um, talking about someone that they're, they're close to, you know, in the, in, the, in the company, and you don't know the relationships that are all there. Um, you have to be able to um, uh, back your statements up with a lot of data, a lot of facts. Um, if it's a lot of suppositions, then they're going to pick you apart. So I think that you really have to kind of, you know, walk carefully, um, you know, on eggshells, basically when you're having a discussion, I think you you need to be frank. There's no doubt about it. But if you don't, if you're not able to back those facts up, um, or at least, you know, really Good guesses up with 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 some kind of evidence. Um, you're going to get eaten alive um, in those in those conversations, but they definitely need to be had before uh, before uh, an audit is occurs um, and after an audit occurs. I mean, that's something that you should be talking to you know management with as as you're kind of having that pre audit conferences. Like, you know, what are the what are those high risk areas that I should be aware of? Um, are there some things that you're really concerned with Um, are there some activities that you know um, that can be covered up and you know uh you know uh, into the detriment of the company so i think from a pre-conference standpoint and then finally you know having that frank conversation like hey we didn't see we didn't see any evidence of fraud or we think that there's evidence of fraud and here it is and here's the fact so
0: okay well and um, i think sorry I, I think it also depends on who you bring
1: it to and when you bring it to so waiting until after the audit's over you know the it could, be, could be too too far down the line but being that direct and having all your evidence is super important
2: yeah no i, I, I tracy i totally agree with you that um you know not only is it before and after it, it is during um you have to at least kind of say hey here's some preliminary findings you know we can't exactly say what the issue is here but it it doesn't it doesn't i usually use this term it doesn't smell right something something's going off there's a little bit of a red flag and let them chew on it you know because maybe they do some homework on their side too yeah you know does it pass that smell test does it pass the new york times test you know yes yes that's right
0: and uh we'll we'll close out with this question and then um as we close out, Rick, feel free to talk about the oil and gas vendor roundtable where people can go to sign up, et cetera. But uh, I'm just thinking. So if Tracy's the communications queen, Rick. I'll call you the oil and gas guru. Um, and so this, you might not be able to think about it outside of oil and gas. Is what I was getting at, but re- let's say somebody has somebody listens to this, they have some downtime, and they're like, okay, vendor uh, fraud probably happening at my organization, regardless of whatever industry they're in. What's a common vendor fraud that they could maybe take a look at, assuming like they have access to the data and systems and things like that?
2: So, what what's a common vendor fraud that just kind of crosses all industries? You're saying? Yeah, yeah. So, I, I you know part of it is is the uh, you know the, the bid rigging scheme, and there's a lot of components with that. So, and this does cover over a lot of different industries. So, if you're if you are you know, if it's some kind of large capital, um, spend, you're going to have bids that go out. Um, you know, and of course the, the very first step is where you have your, uh, you know, your colleagues, employees of your company that are, um, you know, reaching out to vendors and m- ensuring that there is a, a very, um, a transparent, uh, b- Um, where there's not communication with your employee, with the, with the vendor, um, ensuring that, uh, that that vendor wins over somebody else, you know, and then it goes, as it kind of goes along in its life cycle, uh, once a vendor is picked out, is um, making sure that whatever is uh, in that invoice is what was on part of that bid and if there are change orders then you know ensuring that they have been approved and making sure that those change orders actually go to um you know the project that it's supposed to go to Um, and then finally just on the invoice itself you know there could be you know outside of a maybe a, a large bid there's some uh you know time and expense type of invoices that are coming in it's so easy uh, for contractors just to fudge it, um, and you know a, a lot of people do. They look at that clock and they go, "Oh, you know, in six hours." I, or, you know, I need to call it eight hours because um, what what is my boss going to think? You know, and then they you know round it up, etc. So that's that's what I would say would be one of those areas that would probably go across different. Um, different industries, whether it's a vendor at, at Walmart, you know, for Walmart, or it's a vendor for an uh, for oil and gas company or a construction company, or, or even, um, you know, let's say a financial services company that's having a new building put up. Those are, you know, very
0: typical um, uh, issues that you could encounter. All right, that's fantastic. I appreciate that. Um yeah we'll close out here Benita sent me a message rick she sent you a message on linkedin wanting to join the oil and gas vendor roundtable so you got Fantastic. you got another Fantastic. one here um thanks everybody for joining this is trent russell co-host of the audit room on clubhouse and tracy i'll kick it to you and then rick if you want to close us out let us know how we can uh sign up uh, for the oil and gas vendor roundtable yeah so
2: thank you tracy and thank you trent for inviting me to partake and participate in the the clubhouse today. I really appreciate it. Um, If you would, uh, if you're interested in becoming a member, it's free, there's no cost to it. Um, It is, you can go to uh, vendorroundtable.com, vendorroundtable.com or vendoraudit.org. And you click the the sign in join um, link and you can do it. Uh, Again, there is an upcoming class that I'll be teaching uh, this Thursday on cybersecurity and the Colonial Pipeline. I have a few articles that have been published this year. Uh, you know, one in particular that I'm very proud of, and that's the one that was in the um, ACFE Fraud Magazine in January. So if you'd like to read a uh, story uh, that I wrote uh, for them, uh, feel free to, to uh, look that one up.
1: That's great. Thanks, Rick. And from my side, I'll be running my how to write short audit reports webinar again, December 9th. So mark your calendars for that. We had over 150 people register and attend last time. So uh, looking forward to getting that topic back up. want to thank everyone, especially Rick, for joining us today. And Trent, as always, my co-host and moderator, always does a super job. And to all of our um, joiners, our attendees, uh, thanks so much for joining us Luis Benito Teo Ahmed, and you're always welcome to come up to the stage when you'd like to, and we'll see you next week in the Audit Room on Clubhouse. Thanks, everybody. Hey, Trent. Yep. Hold on. Yeah. You got a second? Oh.